Thanks for listening in today to our Sunday broadcast of Abiding in the Word with Dave Love, Senior Pastor of Calvary Castle Rock. Today, we will be continuing our study in the Gospel of Luke. So let's join Pastor Dave now. Soon your trials will be over. Let's go to Luke chapter 2. We've been going through uh, the book of Luke. Here we are in the Christmas story here in August. And if the Christmas story was to be summed up by one word, I would say this would be the word, serendipity. You know, serendipity is a very interesting word. It actually comes from a Persian fairy tale um, called the Three Princes of Serendip. Bet you didn't know that. Uh, Dated in 1754. And what this story speaks about, it speaks of a phenomenon of finding something valuable that was not sought after. Or something beautiful breaking into the mundane, meaning you were fortunate to come across it because you weren't looking for it. That's what the word serendipity means. And this is the Christmas story. This is what the shepherds are doing as they're out in the field. They get introduced to something. Something gets brought their way that they were not looking for. And so because of that, it was very much a serendipitous occasion because they get introduced to the Savior of the world. They get introduced to the good news, the gospel. And so here in chapter 2, starting in verse 8, Mary and and Joseph are now in Bethlehem. They have had their child, Jesus. And so here in verse 8, it says, Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night, And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. And then the angel said to them, do not be afraid. It's something that angels always have to say. When you are in front of an angel, it's so ominous, it's so powerful compared to who you are, you're going to be afraid. It's the first thing that you learn in angel school. When you introduce yourself to a human, this is Angel 101, you have to say, do not be afraid, or they're going to die in your very presence, and you won't be able to get the message out. It's Angel 101 is what that is. And so they have to say that. And so they are right before the shepherds, and it says, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So they're living out in the fields. They're kind of camping out there. It's a temporary place. The shepherds are doing what shepherds are doing. They're they're tending their flock. And it was here that it all began. This is where the gospel was first preached to them. This is the first announcement of a Savior has been given. It's serendipitous. They weren't expecting it. And how fortunate they were to be the ones that were given this good news. It's amazing. It's unbelievable. This first announcement is made to shepherds. How fitting. Because it is the birth of the good shepherd, the great shepherd, the chief shepherd of our souls, that this was first announced to the men whose very livelihood spoke of the person and work of Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. It was the lamb who would lay down his life for us, provide for us, lead us as his sheep, and then one day reward those men who have been faithful themselves as under shepherds. The glory of God for which Israel had long awaited was revealed to shepherds. It was not revealed to the priesthood. It was not revealed to the kings. It was revealed to the lowly. Now, 
as a minister, we really need to take heed of this. Ministers really need to take heed of this. Those who are pastors and teachers really need to take heed of this. God never calls the proud and pompous, but he does call the lowly, and there's a reason for that. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, Paul tells us the reason. He tells us that this is the people that God calls. He says, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise are called. So if you did not do well on the SATs, God's calling you. Okay? You are so qualified. That not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. For God has chosen the foolish things of the world. Are you a dumb guy? You're qualified. God wants to use you. When you look back in your life, do you, are there certain points in your life where you're going, that was one of the foolish things I've ever done? And then you think, no, it wasn't. That was much, and, and you actually wrestle with what the foolish thing in your life that you've done. You, you don't, they're all kind of equal. God is calling you. He wants to use you for this reason. He goes on and says, he has chosen the foolish things to put to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty and the base things of the world, the things which are despised. God has chosen, and the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. See, when you have a very weak vessel, and God speaks, you know it's the Lord. When you have somebody that, that maybe is physically challenged in this world, and they want to talk to you about the mercy and grace and the glory of God, and they're in a wheelchair, or they're a quadriplegic, You listen, don't you? The words that they say are very, very powerful. Where are they getting this strength from? It has to be God. It has to be God. There are people who know you, and and they've seen what God has done through you and how he has changed you, and they could almost be your trumpeter in the way of going, "I I know this guy. I grew up with this guy. He's a dork. And yet, look what God is doing. I'm telling you right now, it is God. There's a testimony that goes through that. And this is what God's looking for. And he comes to shepherds. Shepherds, if you don't know, are the lowest in the low in society. Shepherds were considered outcasts of society. Shepherds were the ones that didn't really do well in Torah class. And so they took on this trade. And so they were the, the lowest of the low. They were so low that their testimonies were not to be received in a court of law. They couldn't be believed. As a matter of fact, there was only one group of people that were lower than the shepherds, and those were the lepers. Because in that society, they thought that if you had a sickness so grave, it was because God has cursed you, and you were cursed. And yet it was these shepherds, that were tending sheep there on the Bethlehem Hills, that most scholars will say must have been the temple shepherds because these are the sheep that would be offered daily in the temple as a sacrifice, which also speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you would have thought they would have had a little bit more respect because at least they were the shepherds to the temple sheep. But they weren't. They didn't have that 
at all. They were still looked at the lowest of the low. And this is who God comes to with his angel. And it was these shepherds that God's glory shone around them, the Bible says. The word there for to shine and glory is paralampo. And it means to shine like a halo. It wasn't like a spotlight. It was like a halo of what shone around them. The God's Shekinah glory. And that Shekinah glory speaks of weight. It speaks of the heaviness of God's presence in the midst of this great light. And it shone and broke forth in the great light which illuminated all around them. And this angel, this messenger of God spoke and he says, Do not be afraid for behold I bring you good tidings of great joy. You should have that circled good tidings. Great joy. Which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Behold, good tidings. The word good tidings is euangelizo, which is a Greek word where we get the word evangelism in the way of good news. And the gospel means good news, and it means to announce the specific news of the gospel is what this means. And so great joy, the word great is mega. It means big, wide. You can't measure it. Joy, cheerfulness, calm, delight, gladness. It is the best News in the whole world. Why? Because all other news is temporal. Is there really? What, what good news did you get this week? Well, I think I got some great news this week. I got a raise. That's good news. But it isn't great news. It's good news. Hey, I'm pregnant. That's good news. You know? Hey, I won the lotto. Eh, it might be good news. I don't know. Most of those people end up bankrupt. But think of whatever great news that you could possibly think of, it's temporal. But this news is so great, it's eternal. Is there any better news? I don't think so. When you first asked your wife to marry you, and she said yes, she wasn't herself that day, she said yes. That was great news. Did you or did you not want to tell someone? I would position that you probably did. And you probably told many people. And the ones that you loved the most are the ones that you told first. And yet, if you went to your fiancé, not your fiancé yet, but if you went to the person you were dating and you said, hey, will you marry me? And they said, yes, but don't tell anyone. How would you have felt? I'd be going, um, getting mixed signals here. Are you not as excited about this as I am? Yes, but, but, but don't tell anyone. Do you, do you think either party did that? I, I, I will marry you, but, but don't tell anyone. Hey, will you marry me? Yes. Okay, don't tell anyone. Who, who would do that? This is great news. This is the best news ever. How can you not tell anyone? As we're going to see what the shepherds do, they go blabbing it to everyone because it's great news it's the best news ever it's eternal news in ephesians chapter 3 verse 17 this is a great um trivia question to ask christians you're all going to know the answer to this but um i would uh i would encourage you to your christian friends that aren't here uh that um, family members or whatever ask them this question where in the bible does it say that Jesus lives in your heart. I remember when some people came knocking at my door, 
to speak theology, to discuss that. And I had just become a believer probably about, you know, six months coming back to the Lord and things like that. I was excited about my faith. And I told them how Jesus is living in my heart and I gave my life to the Lord. And, and they stopped me dead in my tracks and said, where in the Bible does it say that Jesus lives in your heart? I'm going, I'll show you. I go looking and I went to John 3.16. Then I went to other places. I couldn't find it anywhere. And I was thrown. But it does say it. But do you know where it is? Go to Ephesians chapter 3. Verse 17. This is how great this news is. It says in Ephesians 3.17, and it also says it somewhere else. I'll give you a hint of where that is. Um, the initials are Galatians. And uh, chapter 4, those first five or six, seven, eight verses, just read the whole thing. You'll see it there too. But in Ephesians 3.17, this is how great the news is, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love, that may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width, the length, the depth, and the height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This news is so great. You know how great it is? It, 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 it expands the width, the length, the depth, the height, which is unknowable to us. That is infinite, if you ask me. The love of Christ that dwells in your heart. It can't even be comprehended. It passes all understanding. We can't really fathom. It is so great and so deep. This love, this news that a Savior has been given. Because this is how much God loves us. It's huge. It's, it's huge. This news is so big. It speaks of that width, the depth, of the height, and the love of Christ. And it speaks of the fullness of God. This big news which brings with it joy, cheerfulness to any who receive it. This is why we evangelize. Because the news is so great. This news that was given around 2,000 years ago. I'm here to say that there's never been such great news before or since that time. It's the greatest news ever. And it's given to all the people, it says. The word all there is a very interesting word when you do this. Uh, word search and definition, and, and you begin to expound on this word, and I've done all the work for you, but this word all means, when you really study it, it means all. So I just saved you the legwork there. It's great when you ever do a word study, because a lot of times you go down this rabbit trail, and boom, it brings you a pot of gold. It's pretty awesome. And there's other times when, well, it just is what it is. This means all. But it's the next word that I find very interesting. It says, for all the people. And the word for people there is the word laos. And it means people in general. It means humans everywhere. No matter what dialect, no matter what nation, tribe, ethnic group, it is speaking of those. And what's so interesting about that is because if Luke wanted to mean that it just meant the Jews, a specific group of people, and there's a Greek word he would have used, and that is the word demos. And he doesn't use it here. Because Jesus is not just the Savior of the Jews. He is the Savior for all the people. All the people. The word Savior there. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ. The word, the sa- word Savior there is soter. It means to save or make safe. It, it, it means to deliver, to save, to protect, to heal, and make whole. The word Savior there isn't necessarily uh, Jesus 
title as it is more of a reflection of who we are. He's a savior for us. It's a reflection of us because we're broken and we need to be made whole again. I am a wretched sinner. I am broken. I need healing. I need to be made whole. And that is why he is my savior. Because he can do that. He can do that. And that word savior, again, it speaks of our condition. He is Christ. The word Christ is anointed one. It's, it's the same word in the Old Testament as Mashiach, meaning Messiah. And he is the only one that can change my wretched condition. Jesus is the Christ. He's the only one. Buddha can't do it. Muhammad can't do it. Mormonism can't do it. Scientology can't do it. No other faith can do it. It is only and only and only Jesus. He's the only one. He's the only one. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will never perish but have everlasting life. Romans 10, 9 and 10. It tells us if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Because for with the heart one believes unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It's all about Jesus, you personally making this commitment to him, not to me and not to a church. When Paul and Silas were bound up and beaten and thrown in prison, they're in the deepest part of the, uh, um, the dungeon, put in stocks and chained there. They did something very, very interesting. They began to sing unto the Lord. The Lord uh, um, then releases their chains and the stocks and the prison doors opened up. And then the guards came running and saw what was going on. They wanted to kill themselves and they said, stop. And then they came running to Paul and Silas and they said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? It was at that point that Paul and Silas pulled out and said, well, I want you to uh, look at these forms. I need your email address. I need this. I need for you to sign these. No, it's not about that. What he did is he said this, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. It's a person, it's a person, it's a person, it's a person. And that person is Jesus. That's the only way you can be saved. Is you speaking to him, acknowledging your sin, saying you are my savior. And by saying that, what you're saying is that I need saving. Because I'm a sinner. I'm broken. I'm not whole. I'm not the person that God had created me to be. And I ask for you to change that. Salvation is believing the one who paid the price for sin. That person is Jesus. He is savior. He died for us. So if you believe that work that he did on our behalf on the cross, you will be saved. It's great news. It's the best news ever. Because without Jesus, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. And God's word makes that very, very clear. All of sin and fall short of the glory of God. Uh, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. All that he did on the cross, paying the price for our sins that he has done. You believe that? You will be saved. And here's the thing. When you receive Jesus, you are saved. But guess what? He continues to save. He continues to save me. You know how he continues to save me? He continues to save me from bad decisions that I still continue to make as I walk with him. Sometimes I get sidetracked and I make a decision. I go, oh, that wasn't good. Lord, forgive me. Lord, 
save me from that stupid thing that I just did. Some of us here have made some stupid decisions in the last couple of days. Some of us here have made stupid decisions maybe in weeks or months ago or maybe years ago. You're saved. If you die today, you'll go to heaven, but he needs to save you today from that dumb decision that you made, that choice that you made, however long ago it was, and you need to present that to him so he could save you from that. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Who do you think he's speaking to there? He's speaking to believers. He's not speaking to the unsaved. He's speaking to mature believers. So they understand that there is still that path of saving that needs to take place when we continually admit to him our sin and things that, that we do wrong. In Luke 2, verse 12, going back to the text, it says, And this will be a sign to you, you will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. This is a pretty good sign. Because even though Bethlehem is a small place, you don't want to have to go from dwelling place to dwelling place, house to house, knocking on doors, trying to find out where where the Christ child is. So instead, he gives them a hint. Hey, he's going to be in a manger. Well, if he's going to be in a manger, that means he has to be outside in some pen area, place where they keep animals. And just so you know, this is a stone manger, by the way. It's not a wood manger that you see in a lot of these nativity scenes and things like that. It's a stone uh, manger. Uh, Wood is way too uh, valuable uh, to be able to use it for something like that. And so when you go to Israel with us, uh, we'll go to the city of Cana, um, and you will be able to see an actual um, stone uh, manger. And it would have been exactly what um, Jesus would have been placed in there in the city of Cana. And so it's it's very, very, very interesting. And so, again, he's going to know where to go, a, a place Uh, there he's going to be in a manger, so they just have to look at a few places that would have outdoor pens, and they would be able to find him. And then it says, and suddenly there was the angel, a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, now I love this because uh, a multitude of the heavenly hosts, multitude means a number that you can't count. And I personally believe that every angelic being was there that night to be able to see this glorious news delivered. That's just my own personal thought. But I cannot, if you know me, you know I cannot continue until I go down this little rabbit trail here that you would all see that in your Bibles that the word that is spoken of there, that the heavenly host praising God and saying, it doesn't say singing. And if your Bible says singing, it's a very, very poor translation, okay? Because the word there is lego, and it means to speak forth, and that word never means to sing, ever. Now, I know I just crushed a lot of your Christmas songs and all the thanks for taking the joy out of that, Dave. But there's a purpose of why we're going to go down this road, and at the end, you'll say hallelujah, okay? You'll say hallelujah. So, I want us to be able to look at this. Do angels sing? Well, when we go through the New Testament, okay, the Greek word for sing or sang is salo or edo or humne. And sallow means to twitch or twang or to play on a string instrument or to make melody or to sing. Edo just means that, means to sing, means to sing with your voice. Humne means to sing a religious ode or song, to celebrate God in song or a hymn that is specifically praise unto God. Neither death nor even life. 
That completes this Sunday broadcast of Abiding in the Word with Pastor Dave Love. Join us next Sunday as we continue our study in the Gospel of Luke. If you live in the area of Castle Rock and are looking for a church to call home, be sure to come by and visit us. We meet Saturdays at 5 p.m. and our Sunday service times are at 9 and 11 a.m. A combined junior and senior high class meets at the 5 p.m. service on Saturday. On Sunday mornings, high school meets during the 9 a.m. service and the junior high meets at the 11 a.m. service. Our young adults ministry, Arise, meets every Friday at 6.30 p.m. at the church. Child care is offered for all of our weekend services. Calvary Castle Rock is located right off of I-25 and East Wolfensburger Road, directly behind Jack in the Box and the Shell Gas Station, right across from Starbucks. For more information about us on this radio ministry, please visit our website at calvarycr.com or download our free mobile app from the Apple App Store or Google Play. You can also call the church office at 303-663-2514. We are so blessed you've joined us today. Until our next time together, we want to encourage you to always be abiding in the Word of God. Music